It's time for episode 320 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's set at seven minutes to midnight. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my co-host, good pal, and good friend, Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Micah. Seven minutes to mid- midnight. It's it's later than I thought, so we should probably we should probably get rolling. Um, I am excited to say that we have uh, the managing editor of Android Central here today, uh, my pal Daniel Bader. How you doing, Daniel? Hi, I'm very well. How are you? Oh, doing peachy keen. Thank you. Well, I am so happy to be here. Happy to have you. And to my left. We have a editor, a producer, a podcaster at Parallel here on Relay FM, and the author of iOS Access for All, a comprehensive guide to iOS accessibility, which has a new edition coming out just next week. I believe it's Shelley Brisbane. Welcome back, Shelley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and uh, took time out from proofreading just to talk to y'all. <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate, we appreciate it. that. Uh, well, you know how this show works. We've got four topics, 30 minutes, and I'm going to kick things off with mine. Uh, I am curious, what's a tech innovation or gadget or feature that maybe you poo-pooed at first, but you have since since come to appreciate? Bader, we'll start with you. Okay, so this one was easy because uh, I'm, a, I'm a headphone snob, and... Um, the the AirPods when they were announced in 2016 were the last thing that I thought I would want in my life. Right, this was the tail end of the headphone jack era. It was something that you know I just I always wanted something tethered, something that was reliable, something that I thought was um, going to give me the best sound quality. And then I put in AirPods for the first time, and I was like, I don't care about any of that stuff. This is amazing. Uh, and it's been three years since, and. Now I cannot live without true wireless earbuds. I have probably 12 pairs from every manufacturer from $30 all the way up to the new AirPods Pro. Um, and I cannot imagine living without true wireless earbuds anymore. They are a linchpin of my digital life and something that I carry with me in my pocket literally wherever I go, like a security blanket. It is it is just the most amazing thing in the world to me. I was also super tempted to say headphones, uh, wireless headphones in general, but I'm going to go a slightly different but related route, and that is streaming services. I was definitely one of those people, uh, and specifically music streaming services, I was one of those people who, when uh, Steve Jobs made the argument, nobody wants to rent their music. I was totally there. I was on board. Yeah, I want to buy all my songs from iTunes. I want full control over my MP3 so I can organize my library however I want. And now, a decade later, I'm like, yeah, just give me a fire hose of music. <laughs> Here's my money, right? Like, the convenience of having the huge library available, and especially with the omnipresence of wireless devices that you can take with you wherever you go, uh, you know, fast mobile internet, that means I can be listening on my iPhone to pretty much any song in a music streaming library. It's really, it's really changed everything. So this question comes at a really good time for me because I'm a brand new Apple Watch owner. I've never had one before, and I've been, I don't know, talking about it for a while and not doing it. And finally, uh, basically, the uh, the lure of cheap got to me, and so I got myself a Series 4. And I want to be real specific about it and say that I'm not like a 
super Apple Watch fangirl, but there are things that I have found that it does for me that are just surprisingly sparking little tiny bits of joy, like, oh my God, I can change the volume by turning the crown. That's pretty keen. And I'm more into the little activity rings thing than I thought I would be. I'm not competitive about it. I don't share with people. And I don't really care about the little award thing so much, but it does sort of make me more mindful of how much I am or am not moving. My friends who have had these things for a while tell me that once I break all the various streaks I'm creating right now, I'm going to be miserable because the watch will taunt me. But for the moment, I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of digging it. And my only real uh, regretfulness about it is that I got the 44 because I need a watch that's big enough for my uh, eyes to, to see. And it's it's kind of ginormous on my little tiny wrist, but I'm kind of digging it. My poo-pooed thing is uh, wireless charging. Um, it's very simple to place my phone down onto a mat, not have to try and fumble around in the dark to figure out where that port needs to go in. Um, at work, I have a desk charging mat. So I just come in, sit my phone down there. In my car, I also have a uh, a what is it called? A mount that is wireless charging. And so I am very uh, about the wireless charging where once I thought, ah, this stuff is silly. I'm not going to use this. Why would it? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, things change. People change and technology gets better. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which comes from Daniel Bader. Okay, so this one, um, I, I kind of I went back through some of the archives on Clockwise just to make sure it hadn't been talked about. Because I, I want to make sure that this is something that people are are interested in. I'm certainly interested in it. It's about the T-Mobile Sprint merger, but more specifically about 5G. So this is a technology that is coming, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. T-Mobile and Sprint have been approved by the FCC uh, for a merger. And all of the hubbub around it is about advancing 5G, bringing 5G to U.S. consumers. Um, but my question is, is there anything about 5G that seems meaningfully game-changing to you, especially to the average iPhone user, somebody who's also, you know, just upgrading their iPhone every two or three years, not really worrying about it? Or is it something that like 4K, um, it'll just be a quality of life upgrade for many people and they won't really notice it. They may just get faster speeds and load Instagram a little faster, but otherwise it's just a thing that they get on their new iPhone. What, what, What do you guys think about that? I think that there are possible good implications of 5G just in terms of what you'll be able to do when you have more bandwidth. I think we're getting closer and closer to even a possible future where, you know, people don't buy uh, cable internet or whatever for their houses because they have a really fast wireless connection that works on many of the devices that they use the most. That said, I think that the history of deployment of these kinds of faster speeds have shown that most people don't notice them. Um, there was certainly a long rollout on the 4G slash LTE tail. And while we can all acknowledge that we have, you know, largely faster internet than we may have had, you know, a decade ago, and it's certainly enabled uh, abilities for us to do different things, different types of applications, especially where things like social media have become involved. I don't know if it, you would classify that as such a, a huge revolution versus a sort of long-term evolution. No, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. Um, I, I do think that there are a lot of questions about 5G, and the biggest question of all is how will the coverage really change things for the people who need change the most? Because we've all certainly been to a lot of places where 
you might have super fast internet, but if it's really clogged with a whole bunch of other people using it, it's not fast at all. It's worse than slow internet. So will 5G help these companies deploy things to places that maybe don't have access to five fast internet already? Uh, or will this just continue sort of making the people with fast internet get a little bit faster and not really level the playing field? That was what I was going to hit on, Dan, is I, I think, think that for areas where internet is spotty or slow, that's the promise of 5G. And there also are interesting ways in which 5G is potentially being deployed. There actually are, believe it or not, uh, public projects out there to bring wireless internet to rural areas. I, I uh, work for uh, a, a radio program where we cover the giant state of Texas. And so we pay a lot of attention to you know how easy is it for people in small towns and rural areas to get uh, fast internet or get broadband at all. And 5G, not only because it's a new kind of network, but because the devices that make it possible are so small and so ubiquitous, it seems like you would be better able to create a good, broad coverage map, assuming that you had the money to put the infrastructure out there. So I guess that's what I'm hopeful for. For myself, I don't feel like I live in a urban area. I have, I even have choices of internet provider, which a lot of folks don't. And keep in mind that if you're getting to 5G, especially as an early adopter, you're going to be buying from uh, incumbent carriers who are not necessarily the nicest companies to do business with. So I don't feel like that's going to improve in any way. But uh, for those out in, in rural areas and who have spotty internet coverage for any number of reasons, uh, there's a, a lot of potential there. When we talk about next-gen wireless, I think that this is, or or could be, when it gets there, a fantastic thing. Um, there are lots of people who live in places still to this day. There, there are lots of people who still are unable to access internet from their home, or who, as you mentioned, have spotty in internet access, or maybe don't have access to broadband internet. And if this technology is powerful enough and is, you know, widespread enough to give what we are used to getting via uh, traditional ISPs through cable and things like that, uh, the internet coverage that others have, I think this is great. This is something that will um, sort of level the playing field. I live in a, I live in Canada where there are only three major wireless carriers. Um, and it really has cut down on the number of uh, on the on the choices that people have in terms of wireless options, prices are much higher than they are in many parts of the world. Uh, so I'm concerned that this is going to be a negative overall for many wireless consumers. But there are p- potentially positive implications for uh, T-Mobile Sprint combined being able to offer, as Dan was saying, home internet at 5G speeds that could um, compete with the Comcast and the Spectrums of the world that are not held in the highest esteem, (laughs) to say the least. And uh, that could be a good thing for consumers. Um, But I'm I'm very wary of whether that's in the long term going to be a bonus or a benefit to people. Um, I think in the short term it might be, but ultimately more competition is better. And 5G is on its own just going to broaden the potential for what we can all do. But if it's not if it's not accessible to people, um, f- at, at lower costs, then it's not even worth bringing to market. So that's how I'm thinking about it right now. But it's still pretty far off for most people. So yeah, glad that we had that uh, that discussion on it. Uh, all right, folks, I just checked the clock, and it looks like we have reached halftime, which means I get to tell you about uh, 
one of my faves. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. You, yes, you out there can unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Make everything you write repetitively available everywhere you type. And for Mac users upgrading to Catalina, don't worry about it. Text Expander is ready and it's working. And by the way, I can confirm that. Text Expander works everywhere you type on Word and Google Docs and email and web forms and more. It even works on iOS. You can send more emails and personal personalize every last one with Text Expander's fill-ins and pop-up features. Truly great. Text Expander for Teams also helps your new employees get up to speed faster. So they sign up for Text Expander Teams, you teach them how to use snippets, and then suddenly they're typing just as quickly as everybody else because all the things they need to type right away are already snippets. Now, I have been using Text Expander for quite some time. I, it was probably some podcast where I had heard about it. And I downloaded it, and I figured out some of the things that I wanted to do. And now I cannot live without my Text Expander. I'm using it every single day. Uh, one of my simple snippets is just uh, to add date slugs to things. So in files, in documents, and all sorts of things, um, I type semicolon slug and that converts it to the date whatever given date it is um i also use it at twit uh, we have a process where we have to make sure that the uh the different versions of our podcasts are up loaded and alive on on different platforms, be it in uh, MP3 form or video form or something like that. And so we have a Slack channel. Yes, this is getting some inside baseball here. We have a Slack channel where we confirm that those are up. Well, you're typing the same thing over and over again every time you're saying, hey, these are available here. I, a human, can confirm that. And so I have a little text expander snippet set up that works for each of the shows that I host and, and produce. And it quickly says, yes, it's up on MP3, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I can use that both on iOS. So if I want to do it while I'm out and about, or if I am at home, then I can do it for my computer. It saves, I don't know, it saves a good amount of time. But it's it's the idea that as you add all these different snippets, that time adds up. And Text Expander can even help you uh, determine how much time you're saving in a given month, which is wonderful to see uh, how that starts to add up. Text Expander is available for Mac OS. It's available for Windows. It's available for Chrome. And as I mentioned, on iPhone and iPad. And Clockwise listeners out there, you get 20% off for your first year of Text Expander. You go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. If you've been meaning to try Text Expander, you gotta check it out now. Gotta give that to you one more time. Textexpander.com slash podcast. Please go there, check it out. I promise that you'll find some use for it because it is a powerful tool that does so much and honestly brings a smile to my face every time I hear that little snippet sound. Our thanks to Text Expander, of course, and the great folks at Smile for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Dan Morin, what have you got for us? Apple announced a new 16-inch MacBook Pro this morning that reverses course on a couple of things that were pretty contentious, most specifically the keyboard, which now uses a scissor mechanism as opposed to the much maligned butterfly mechanism, as well as returns a physical escape key. So my question for you is whether you think this is a rare case of Apple really listening to the consumer response to things or was this just sort of the logical decision of, well, we need to make these things better, uh, and this is how we do it? Shelly? 
I feel like they had to have listened because they were very committed to the butterfly keyboard from the time they first introduced it and did so for a number of years. And it seemed to be very appley in the sense that it was a technological solution that was elegant and attractive. But, oh, yeah, people didn't like it. And I don't know that Apple gets credit for having finally done that. They, I guess they had to do whatever engineering was required in order to make it possible for them to produce the machine they wanted with the keyboard that people liked a little better. And I'm glad to see it. So yes, I feel like they did it for reasons of customer demand, but I don't feel like they necessarily did it quickly enough or for the right reason. Uh, having said that, I can't wait to see that uh, mechanism come to smaller laptops, 16-inch um, uh, MacBook Pro kind of a giant machine. I don't think that'll be in my future. You know, I honestly can't say. Who knows uh, what this, what the, the reasoning behind this was truly. I mean, I think that if Apple continued to produce uh, a keyboard that had enough of an issue that there were mainstream publications out there saying, hey, this is not a laptop worth getting, and here's the reason why, and enough folks saying, yeah, I'm also having those issues. And on the podcasts that folks at Apple listen to, and on po- on the podcasts that folks at Apple go on as part of uh, the press, if all of those things are saying, hey, this MacBook Pro keyboard is garbage or is trash or the mechanism is garbage or trash, then I think that there is a little bit of uh, them listening to their user base, listening to the consumer and saying, we need to make a better uh, mechanism. So here's the thing, though. Uh, you ask, is it a rare case of Apple listening to consumer response or is this just the logical decision I say, why not both? I think that the logical decision in this case was listening to the consumer response. Yeah, I don't think that the 16-inch MacBook Pro would have a scissor keyboard if the third iteration of the butterfly keyboard had actually worked. Uh, You know, we remember that the butterfly keyboard debuted with the 2016 MacBook Pro. It has since received three refreshes or two refreshes, um, you know, to try to fix the ingress problem. Um, you know, I'm sitting here with a MacBook Pro that has been replaced twice, um, and it was a very frustrating experience both times. Um, both of t- both times, the keyboard malfunctioned while I was on important work trips, and I basically could not use my keyboard. Uh, it 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 was an endemic problem that they had to solve. I I find it interesting though that the press release does not mention anything about regret or. Or, or, you know, this is not an Apple thing to do, right? They don't acknowledge their past mistakes. They say, we are, we are moving beyond it. We are improving. We are going, going forward, not backward, twirling, twirling towards freedom. And the reality is that this was a mistake. They acknowledged it by making a better keyboard using older technology. And if that's going to hold up in the long term, this is the right decision. Um, I think it'll be interesting once all the cards settle, you know, the dust settles, and somebody can talk on the record about what happened, right? If this was a Johnny Ive enterprise that got out of hand or whatever. But ultimately, uh, in the annals of Apple Apple history, this will be considered a mistake, a three-year interregnum of of, of quality control problems uh, that will likely never return because if they keep a slim, low-profile butterfly keyboard, nobody's going to complain. And I think with debuting on the 16-inch, that's fine, but it has to come to the 13-inch as soon as possible because that is the mainstream MacBook that everybody uses, as well as the MacBook Air, obviously. 
Yeah, I want to give full credit here to my um, my friend Daniel Jalkett, just because we don't have enough Daniels on this podcast, um, who's, who put it, Apple's use of the marketing term magic keyboard is genius. It concedes everything while confessing nothing, which is just a wonderful way of putting that. Uh, Micah, you saw through my trick question. Yeah, I agree. It, I don't think it is an either or in this case. Uh, I think this is a case uh, where Apple's priorities mesh well with the way consumers were feeling about something and those do they do feed into each other like like all of you have said um i think that this this butterfly keyboard although apple maintained that lots of people liked it uh, those people were not certainly going a bunch of places and stridently defending it for the most part so a change had to be made uh, otherwise apple was going to be dealing with this argument about the keyboard but pretty much every time they released a new computer and it just doesn't want to have that discussion over and over again so you know it, it managed to save a little face by saying that it upgraded you know kind of the magic keyboard internals and before you know integrating that into a laptop but at the end of the day this definitely feels like they listened to all the complaints and and said, you know what, we we're, this isn't working. We got to find a way to make a change that's gonna keep our customer base happy uh, and not get articles written about us in the press every day. So I, I think this was a smart move, and I totally agree with you, Daniel. It needs to come to the rest of the line stat, especially because I'm in the market for a new laptop, and like Shelley, the 16 inch way too big for me. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our last topic, which comes from Shelley. So the internet is full of rabbit holes. No surprise there. You've probably been down a few yourself, as have I. And um, I guess I'm wondering, uh, tell me about a rabbit hole in the internet that you've been down recently. It could be a Reddit community, a crazy website, a YouTube channel, anything that sort of captured your attention. And, and bonus points if it's not tech-related. One of the things that I guess would be a recent rabbit hole that I went down uh, ended up resulting in a podcast that I was doing for a while was was a little bit about digging farther in or further into sleep. So it started with me uh, digging into the 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 science of of caffeine and how that works on the body, how that works on the brain, the half life of caffeine. Um, learning a little bit more about other medicines that folks use for sleep, and then learning about how the different uh, parts of the different cycles and stages of sleep are uh, affect your body in different ways. And one of the things that uh, just a little tidbit here that. I didn't know and came to learn was that, um, and I don't know why I didn't know this, but a lot of times uh, I would think that you are in your first stage of sleep, which is sort of the the nodding off stage, um, getting to the second stage of sleep, which is a pretty, it's not deep sleep yet, but it, you're, you're at a pretty good level. And the third stage of sleep, which of course is deep sleep. And then a lot of people think, REM comes next. Well, it doesn't. You go stage one, stage two, stage three, then you go back up to stage two to stage one. And then at that point, your body decides, is it time to wake up or is it time to go into REM sleep? And so REM sleep is actually the most awake state of sleep. Your brain is the is almost as active as it is when you are awake as you are when you are in REM. And you cannot get to REM sleep without taking that cycle down and back up again. So very fascinating stuff, uh, including the way that alcohol is a horrible thing for your sleep, uh, good to help you fall asleep, terrible to help you stay asleep, and just uh, overall not good for maintaining those cycles of sleep. So I won't go on because this is only a 30-minute podcast, but uh, definitely one of my favorite rabbit holes. Daniel Bader, your turn. I have uh, a confession. 
Um, and t- I actually could have used this in the first topic about things that I poo-pooed and now can't live without. Um, it's the Instant Pot. So I bought an Instant Pot for Prime Day and it was on sale and everybody has the Instant Pot and everybody who loves the Instant Pot will just espouse its virtues forever. You, they're like vegans. You can't get them to stop talking about it. Um, but it's one of those things where I did not believe them until I got one and started using it. And now I cannot live without it. The rabbit hole of my, I, I find so much joy in cooking and finding um, new ways to use this Instant Pot, which is basically just a, uh, a fancy pressure cooker, has been extremely joyful for me. Um, you know, pulling off a very fancy recipe in an Instant Pot is, it, it just, it, I, I get so much pleasure from opening up the lid and just seeing this fully formed meal just sitting there waiting for me to eat in, in, you know, better than I could have made it on the stove or in the oven. Um, and since I have started becoming a little bit more comfortable with the different features, that rabbit hole has been trying to figure out how to do as many complicated dishes in this sort of one pot solution, uh, as I possibly can. And, uh, it has been an extremely gratifying journey. Uh, I go down rabbit holes a lot because I write a lot and, you know, I'm always just curious and looking for things that might pique my, my interest or my creativity. Uh, the one that I went down most recently was actually because this, uh, the recent anniversary of the fall of the Berlin wall, uh, got me reading about the history, not only of the wall and the construction, but actually the events leading up to its fall, which was fascinating. Like reading the story about how essentially it was a mistake. <laughs> like it was basically a, you know, a minister who uh, got confused because he had been given some last-minute instructions. He had not been properly briefed on these, like, transit restrictions they were putting into place and essentially announced, like, at a live press conference, like, oh, yeah, people can go through now. And then people, it was like a domino, and it just started falling. And it was fascinating to just read all about this era in history, uh, especially as I think somebody pointed out, like, the wall's been down longer than it was up. Like, that, just fascinating. That's something that, that... that just like defined so much of my very young childhood and early life. Um, and, you know, I think of something as like old and, you know, it's a wall, right? It's like this old thing that's like massive and was always there, right? And you sort of read back to the history of the the building of it and all that. It's just fascinating. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend doing a deep dive on that because you will learn some very, very strange and interesting things about a, a, a strange period in history. So, yeah, I... I I always find the history especially is something that I end up diving into a lot. These are all great. I want to go down those rabbit holes. I'm an Instapot fan too, by the way. Same. Uh, so <laughs> so um, my, I've been writing, uh, trying to get this book out. And I, so I do my day job. I come home. I write, edit, proof, whatever. So I have long days. And at the end of the day, I just need my mind to relax. And the way I've been doing that lately is sitting with my phone or my iPad in my hand and going down YouTube rabbit holes. And the specific one, which surprises me no end, is that there's a woman who renovates apartments in New York City named Paula McDonald. And she does these video walkthroughs. And they're not just look at the pretty chandelier, look at the floor. She's talking about the technical specs of how she did it and talking about having to move the electrical and installing smart home technology. And, and, oh, well, we there was a wall here, but we moved it. And she says before and after shots. And I could just watch this woman talk about apartments and look at her outfits for hours. It's so fun. And I'm sure I'll be down a different rabbit hole in a couple of weeks. But for now, watching Paula McDonald renovate apartments in New York City is my jam. Well, folks, this episode is 
just about to come to an end. But before we get there, this episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers, including me, and they're all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, just drop them an email, give them a call, or just chat over IRC in the Linode community, if that's easier. Whatever suits you best, they have got you covered. Oh, and by the way, they also have some super useful guides and support documentation, so if you just need to quickly look something up, then you can do that. Plus, their new management panel is now in beta at cloud.linode.com. This new management console is a single-page application built using the cutting-edge React.js stack, and it's backed entirely by Linode's public API. Plus, it's open-source and everything's covered with two-factor authentication to keep you and all your data safe and secure. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Plans start at a gig of RAM for just 5 bucks a month, and they go up to high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. Linode has a special offer just for you, listener of Clockwise. You go to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code CLOCKWISE2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the gig of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. So go give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise and the promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. I believe that brings us to the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our incredible guests, Daniel Bader, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Shelly Brisbane, thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. And Mike, uh, we shall be back next week. But until then, we will remind everybody out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>